Hello Food Chain, this is Sharon Chitona and I'm a food tech junkie and innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. Welcome back to another exciting episode. Today, we host a true visionary, a pioneer in the fight against food waste and a driving force behind change in the food service industry. I'm thrilled to announce our guest, Andrew Shackman, as the founder and CEO of LeanPath. He has dedicated himself to creating innovative solutions that bring about a positive impact on our planet and businesses alike. We also will get an exclusive look into the invaluable lessons he's learned during his mission to curb food waste and how these experiences have shaped his innovative strategies for a greener future. Are you ready? Here we go. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm well, sure. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. It's been a long time. I am very curious about where this conversation will lead. And obviously, today we're going to touch upon one of the biggest challenges that we face as a food system, uh, food waste. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started, and how uh, you came to do what you're doing today? So I uh, have been working on food waste uh, for, at this point, 19 and a half years. So I'm getting close to rounding to 20. And I'm the co-founder of Lean Path, and we began on a journey to fight food waste in 2004, not, not knowing what that journey was going to look like. And frankly, how exciting it would be to see an entire movement build around that. Um, but my background is, is in technology uh, and in food, and before that, in narrative and storytelling. And so... Um, there's certainly been a nonlinear path uh, that has uh, has brought me to this point in food waste, but uh, it, uh, it feels like exactly the right place to be. That's very cool. Definitely not a very linear path, sort of like myself, but can you tell us a little bit more about it? I mean, why food, why technology, and how did it all come together for you? Absolutely. So, so if, if I if I step back, I began my uh, professional journey thinking that I was going to be a film producer and working in Hollywood, and um, and that was an interesting place to be. But I was I was interested in how story could drive change for good, and that was that was actually the core of my interest in in narrative. And I found that I was doing that work at the very onset of the internet sort of phase one, one internet 1.0, 1994, 1995. And I, and I thought that that was where the frontier of storytelling was going to move. And so uh, I co-founded a digital marketing organization. It was a first generation uh, digital marketing company and ended up working with a number of food brands in communicating to consumers and bringing those food brands on the internet. And that was where food and tech first converged for me. It's also where I may have accrued some karma I have to work off because I was doing things like marketing Captain Crunch cereal to children and um, you know, designing ways to get kids to ask their mom to buy more sweetness, pre-sweetened cereal. So I, let's just say that, uh, that, I, that I have been working hard to, uh, to address that imbalance over the many years I've been working on food waste. But that, that's where I began. 
And I found it just a fascinating place to be. And I think as you work on food, you come to realize how all-encompassing it is about how it connects us to each other, to our families, to our friends, our communities, to our own health. And just the power of working on that um, has really intrigued me over the years. And so I founded Neat Path in 2004, uh, and it was um, not an immediate, obvious transition from doing the consumer marketing of food. Um, but what happened was I was looking for something that that I knew was going to be impactful and like feel like it was really it was important in making making a difference. And uh, and I also had to have some attributes that made sense in terms of you know a, a business that could scale. And um, at that time, I didn't think of food waste as an, as an uh, environmental or social problems. Frankly, I thought of it more as an inefficiency and a financial problem and money going in the garbage. And at that time, food prices, wholesale prices were growing faster than menu prices and operators were getting squeezed in the middle of the P&L. And I said, gosh, this sounds like a real pain point. Bet, I bet we could do something to help with that. And so moved in that direction. And, uh, and, and then we quickly found that, um, you know, this was a much, much bigger problem than we had initially anticipated. And one of the, you know, there's that saying, if you really want to learn something, first someone shows it to you, then you do it yourself, but really then you teach it. And so I went out on the road to every conference that would have me. And I mean, a meeting of six people in East Texas that would host me to give a talk, I would do those to talk about food waste. Uh, and, and, as I was telling the story, I just kept digging deeper and deeper. And, and this was not the, today we know the narrative about food waste, or many, many do. But at that point, it wasn't an accepted fact that food waste was a nexus issue. And as we started looking at this, we said, wow, like this isn't the core of climate. This isn't the core of food insecurity and biodiversity and land conversion and water resources. And you just start looking at it and it's like, sort of this like breathtaking moment where you you suddenly realize, wow, like we are holding on to a high voltage line here. We didn't even know it was a high voltage line when we picked it up. And so that was incredibly exciting to be able to sort of try to enroll people in this journey when they, and, and the kinds of questions you would get would be so um, varied from just like not even understanding why it was a problem to thinking it was just the you know, normal course, couldn't be avoided. And uh, having to overcome, it's almost like picking a lock, how you could work through the psychology around this issue. And, um, and so we worked on it uh, for a long time. And it was a tough path at the onset. And we might talk more about that. But, uh, but eventually it became uh, a much, much more embraced issue. And, and that's, of course, where we are now. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. And just as a side note, I do remember that time very well. I was literally talking with my daughter. I was like, remember that time when you were young and all you had is sugar? <laughs> right. Right. Now yeah. we're like, this has to be regenerative. Uh, but I do remember those times. <laughs> so many things that I just, you know, I think I took for granted about our food system growing up in, in a world of consumer packaged goods and, um, and by no means is that the reality. That just was the choice architecture in front of us. Oh, yes. That was a different time and a lot happened since. And I think to your point, uh, there was a moment in time uh, around 2015 where people started to open their eyes uh, between the Paris Agreement, between the Vatican, 
loud out to see between the SDGs, people started to notice. But you were a pioneer because you started 10 years before. So in those 10 years where people were just not really in the now, let's call it. Yeah. What happened? Oh, a lot of tears, some <laughs> laughter. Uh, so I joked that the name of our company, Lead Path, also describes the first 10 years. It was a lead path. And we were looking for people who got the problem and were willing to work on it. And, and that was not everybody, but there were pioneers who wanted to walk with us on that, early adopters, people who saw it, who had a sense for it. And so those were the moments of great joy when you found that fellow traveler, someone on the food service side who went, because our clients are large food service companies and hotels, and you would, you would get someone who really understood it. I remember we, uh, the first hotel we rolled, rolled out leave at that was the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, which in hindsight, if you're going to pick the first hotel, you probably don't pick that one because it's, I think the largest hotel in the U S or what's at the time. And, uh, it was just this immense, um, you know, operation. And, um, but what I remember was, um, the passion of the people there, um, and a woman named Olga Fredrickson, who was a food cost analyst at the time, who just totally understood just the food waste was the, at the center of this opportunity. And you'd meet someone like Olga, and there were many others on that journey who just were ready to roll up their sleeves and they were okay being test cases, like not having everything worked out, like, like that jury stuff was fun. But what was hard was the, you know, just the pace of change and getting through scaled action has taken a long time. And I would argue we're still not there. And uh, although we've made tons of progress, but that first 10 years, it was just a lot of locking and building a mental model, I think, for understanding it. And so I ended up kind of with a model in my mind that first you had to get people to the point where they understood food waste as a problem. And it was this nexus issue. It was costing us over a trillion dollars. It was 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. It was 25% of our fresh water. It was like all the statistics that we talk about now. You had to get that foundation layer that this really matters. Secondly, you had to get people to understand that prevention was the pathway to fighting this because there were so many ways you could go and get focused on composting or energy, you know, biogas or food donation, which are, by the way, all good. But there is nothing that's more impactful than preventing the food waste to begin with. And rather than institutionalizing, you know, programs to deal with a waste stream, we need to reduce the waste stream. It's uh, it's not dissimilar to solar where people, you know, if you don't work on energy efficiency, but you go put a giant solar field in, it's much more solar than you need. So there's there was there was a need to move people to prevention as this point of impact. Then third, if you got that far, and this was in this first 10 years, you had to kind of build up. You had to then help people understand that the route to prevention was measurement because everyone could see the solutions for composting or food recovery. Like you, you, they were tangible. You could touch them. But prevention is, for, prevention is a hard one because it's invisible, right? So you're making the invisible visible through measurement and trying to explain to people the many ways that measurement has impact because I think people immediately, some people just embrace it and go data, get it, powerful. But then you go, hang on a sec, between no data and data is something incredibly important, which is the psychology associated with collecting the data. 
which is to say that the very act of asking someone to collect information about food waste changes the way they think about it. And so this was the theater of the kitchen, and this was where my narrative origins started to come together. And so if you see a lead path machine in a kitchen, it's bright green, it stands out, but it also is stainless steel and looks like it belongs. And we designed it to be in and of these two worlds where you thought it belonged there, but it was different. And, and then you'd ask people to measure waste and that would cause them to think about it. And there's a great Buckminster Fuller quote, which is, if you want to change the way someone thinks, don't bother, just give them a tool. And as they use that tool, it will change. And so that's, that was sort of the, you know, the journey of, of, of getting people to this understanding that measurement was this um, hugely impactful mechanism to drive prevention for both psychology as, and behavior as well as data to then drive more analytical reasoning around production and purchasing and menus. And if you got that far, Sharon, then finally then you would have to get to the point of proving that automating measurement was necessary to inculcate it permanently into your culture in a kitchen. And so that was the journey we were on for 10 years was trying to build that layer cake, if you will, to the point where people could climb, climb all the way up and see that you know, what we were providing at LeapPath was actually this hugely high leverage unlock that allowed you to automate measurement to lead to prevention to fight food waste. And once you got there, then it was that, those moments where people just said, you know, uh-huh, we get it. And so the first 10 years was a lot of that and just circling around how to tell that story. And then things took off. Two questions. Uh, first, can you give us a little bit of details about lean path, let's say we're in a kitchen, how does it work? And two, I mean, we know how big of a problem food waste is. We know it costs people money. We know it's not good for the environment. And yes, people may care more about the money, Yeah. but if so, why doesn't every single company and even consumers, why don't we take care of the problem? Yeah, just that second was just a small one. Uh, <laughs> But no, I'm eager to talk about that. So first, Lean Path, just to ground the conversation for those who might not be familiar with us. So we started with this premise, um, I mean, for pieces of the history, but just to boil it down, your kitchen is a factory in, in many ways. Um, and there's a bunch of management science that works in factories, which is things like Lean and Six Sigma. It involves measurement. And so we said, what if we could bring some of those things that work? in factories into a kitchen, but put them in the right culture for the kitchen. And what it comes down to is daily measurement of wasted food by the entire team, not one person, but every person on the team. And so we provide tracking solutions, scales, cameras, touchscreen devices that both collect information, but critically share it immediately with the people who are doing the recording. Then we have analytics in the cloud that take all that data and organize it and show it to chefs so they can see what's happening in an organized way. And then third, we have action tools that take that information and help guide people to focus on this item or that item and then lead them through the process. So, so we call that track, discover, and drive. Those are the, the three elements of lead path. And at the very core of it is this understanding that the frontline teams in food service are the global change makers on food waste. And most of them don't know that yet. And the world may not realize it yet. And, and those are roles that often don't receive anywhere near the level of respect that they deserve. And so one of the things that we do at Lead Path is really look to how do we power that front line to see the problem 
and work on it and, and realize they're the change makers on. So that's at the heart of what we do is change kitchen culture, create hyper-efficient, waste-aware cultures with engaged teams who are changing behaviors and working on food waste by measuring it every day in an easy way using technology. And, and I would argue not just measuring it, but then using that data. And that's really where so much of our passion has gone in the last few years has been about how do you take data and drive that action in ways that support people in, in the normal ways they work, but prompt them. So that's the what we do. The second question is, gosh, if we're wasting so much money, why are, and, and such a huge environmental impact and social impact, why are we still doing this? And it's, it's such a fundamental question. I, I think first, the social norms, we still just tolerate food waste as a socially acceptable thing. Um, the value of food is, uh, is not high enough. People perceive food to be, at least in a, in a, in a portion of the world, food is perceived to be very cheap. And it's expendable. And of course, when things are not, you know, very expensive, people don't value them as much. And so a combination of it being acceptable and affordable has created an environment where the convenient thing to do is to waste food. And people do things they think that are convenient. Uh, there's also, and, and that's not a ju value judgment. I think that's a systemic reality. There's also a culture of hospitality that we all have which runs really deep and maybe not everyone has, but mo but people, I know a lot of people who do it, but I certainly suffer from it. You know, here, when we're having a lead path holiday party, you know, we don't want to run out of food at the lead path holiday party, but we don't want to have any extra food, right? And you have this cognitive dissonance over how do you, how do you get just the right amount? And that is at the core of this problem. How are you hospitable? You have choices, you delight people with food, which is what we want to do, but, but not, have too much. And that's, that's a tough um, thing to walk. And then I guess the, the last piece is that, so, so I talk about social norms, acceptability, cost of food, um, hospitality, but you know, there's, there's a, there, there's also a reality. We manage risk with food waste and we've built it into our operations, particularly in food service in ways that we don't even consciously know. So we're worried about running out. So we make too much. Because we think if we run out, we won't have that sale. We'll lose revenue and it'll hurt our financials. So we make more than we need. We're worried about in a grocery operation, things not looking beautiful in the produce. So we buy much more produce than we know we'll ever sell. But we manage the risk that someone might not buy an apple by throwing away four others. Um, we manage risk around food safety with this well-worn statement, if in doubt, throw it out, which is crazy, right? If in doubt, like, fix the doubt, like resolve the doubt. And yet we really do live in that world where we are, you know, if we're worried about something, we say, okay, just, just deal with it by wasting it. And so all of those things convene in, in the act of, you know, food, food consumption, production, which is so integrated into every part of life and so many complicated operating environments. I just think it's a tough one to, to, to fix with all of those dynamics. So then that's not to say it's hopeless. I think it's absolutely fixable, but I think it's a multi-pronged attempt. It's changing cultures in kitchens. It's changing consumer culture. It is bringing focus to the value of food, which you do such a great job of. But like, and thankfully as a culture, we're doing that, right? Like we're no longer in the world where you can serve Captain Crunch cereal and everyone just goes, yeah, that's totally reasonable. Like, like that's changing for many. And so I think on the jury, um, and, but there are some things that are gonna be hard. That aren't that aren't easy about this, and 
and those take longer. Yeah, sometimes it seems like a never-ending battle uh, and never-ending vicious circle. I mean, the the things uh, that were done years ago, it's like exactly as you said. Uh, the food's not healthy. Uh, healthy food is more expensive than uh, bad food. And people also get sicker. Uh, and then on top of that, obviously, if people get sick, cost of healthcare becomes higher. And, and those are things people don't really think about. Yep. You know, funny thing, I didn't make this connection until about 10 years into this work at LeanPath, but I reflected back on my father and I've talked about this a few times publicly, but my, my dad is a, is a physician and he's a preventive medicine specialist. And he went into preventive medicine in the 1960s when that was not a thing. And he actually wrote a book in the late 70s called Poison Proof Your Body, Food, Pollution, and Your Health, which today sounds like, yeah, whatever. But like in 1978, that was revolutionary for a physician to be talking about food and pollution and your health. And, and so I didn't realize it until I was well into this, that I had grown up in a household that modeled that prevention matter, that the connection between food and health was central. And, uh, and so it was funny how you, sometimes these things are like latent and subconscious and I was like, oh, wow, I too am working on prevention. And I too, you know, it's sort of, it was an interesting sort of connection. And, um, I think those, you know, those were not the obvious connections and it, you know, at one point in time, and I'm grateful that it's different now. Yeah. To a point. I mean, I think the younger generations are definitely more aware. Uh, sometimes I get into like these huge fights with my mother saying, why do you buy a pineapple in December? Right, right. But she's like oblivious and you try to tell her, you know, you're impacting. It's like, yeah, but I'm not alone. And that's the thing. You are with millions of people that are doing the same. And so you're not at fault, which drives me nuts, by the way. That's the, the social norm element, right? It's also, it's a social license. And I think that's why it changed. There's this concept of community-based social marketing, which is... I think a really interesting one around trying to drive change, not at the individual level, but a, a community level, not necessarily so big that it's like hundreds of thousands of people, but maybe hundreds of who are, who are actually involved in um, some sort of awareness of each other. And, you know, we've, we've seen success around energy efficiency with this. There, um, there was this company, O Power, which uh, Oracle owns now, but they pioneered the behavioral science of sending you a utility bill, telling you how your energy use compared to your neighbors and, uh, and whether you were one of the more efficient people. And then they always figured out that there was someone more efficient than you and that kept you striving. So there was always the line above you that was your more efficient neighbors. And so figuring out those ways of how do we have those feedback loops, right? Around how people are eating and how they're you know, stewarding food resources. It's, we, we just don't, we don't have those, all of that in place yet. In kitchens, we do, fortunately. In Lean Path, where people are doing what we're doing, we, we have it and, and it creates that culture. But more broadly, I think getting into the residence, into the home, that's the next, or that's the next frontier. Yes. And I think people, if you say climate emissions, they think about cars, transportation, they think about energy. Nobody thinks about food. Yeah. Like just like that thing that just happens and doesn't pollute at all. It's 
And it's so interesting, actually. So we've been spending a huge amount of time thinking about the climate connection. And we've, of course, known it for years, but tried to help tell that story, that crosswalk between food waste and climate. And I feel like there's been a little bit like the food waste communities over here, sort of like yelling across the canyon at the climate community, going, look over here, like we, we can help. And RAP released a report not long ago that I thought really hit the point on the nose, which was we can't meet our climate goals without fixing food waste. This isn't an option. This isn't like, hey, please include food waste in, in the climate tactics list. No, we can't get there without fixing food waste. And one way or another, the road is going to lead to this problem and, um, and for climate action. So um, better it happens sooner. And, and so I think being able to tell the carbon story around, you know, food waste, it is important and we're working on it. And it's, you know, the downstream carbon, like we can do a decent job of that. I think, and finally there are now standards that exist to quantify and actually even create environmental securities, carbon credits on food waste prevention for downstream, uh, landfills, uh, you know, diversion and things like that. But the upstream piece is where so much of the embedded impact is. And that's a, that's a tougher carbon story to tell because if you don't waste this one sandwich, can you prove that that led to abatement of some, uh, you know, sort of greenhouse gas emission, you know, upstream, it's a harder, harder connect. But when you zoom way, way out, there's no way we're going to feed close to 10 billion people in 2050, um, without doing one of two things, fixing food waste or an immense amount of land conversion that creates astounding negative um, feedback loops on climate. One of the two. So like, which do we want to pick? Yeah, you are correct. So other than obviously your work at Lean Path, the sort of the corporate work, you guys also do a lot of actions and you're a very impact-driven organization. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure. So... Yeah, so we certainly have our, if you will, our day job, which is, you know, we're we're the market leading food service technology company focusing on food waste and, and doing that for food service and hospitality. And then by night, um, we we are movement builders and we, you know, it's not literally day and night, but you can think of those two two portions of our work. And we are a B Fork. Uh, we're very proud of being a B Fork. And um, we have an initiative called the Leap Path 12.3 Initiative, which is, of course, aligned with SDG 12.3. And we have resources that we put to work in a number of ways. One is that we will donate our tools to organizations that, that we think can make an impact on food waste, but wouldn't otherwise be able to afford them. And so that is, you know, one part of what we do. We also have invested in chef education and have worked on collaborating on chef education programs, but also making our technology available to instruct culinary instructors related to food waste. Uh, we have done a ton of work on research and making our data available for research purposes and working with academics who are trying to understand food waste better. Uh, we engage with the NGOs who are active on this and, and provide data to people like Refed in their insights engine and and others to help quantify and tell the story and understand it and overall just move practice forward. And so, so those are, you know, those are things that we feel are incredibly important. And so, well, yes, we are building a business and we're proud to be doing that. And it's important. Um, we're, you know, every step is, is about the impact, um, that goes with that. 
So obviously we talked a little bit about this before and you just mentioned different organizations. So obviously food waste is it's a huge problem. It's not just restaurants. It's not just people. Um, it's agriculture, it's production. Yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges and maybe some solutions that you feel we could realistically implement? Yeah. So I think we've touched on some of the structural challenges, whether it's the social license or the cost of food. Uh, but if we get into like the actual world of change, so we have chosen to be change makers working with the largest food service companies, helping them evolve from the inside out. Uh, and I think that there's some terrific progress happening and um, much, much to, to, to be proud of. At the same time, I don't think we're doing enough, not nearly enough. There is a need for faster action, bolder action, broader, bigger action. And so I think there, you know, there's a, there is a leadership need here. We need organizations and the most senior leaders in food organizations to say, this really matters. And it's not just one strategy among many. It is central to having a resilient and sustainable food system and a resilient and sustainable company operating in that food system. And so that means doing it for real. And one of the things that I, I will admit bums me out is when I see, you know, people working on a problem, but not doing everything that's needed to actually solve it. And it becomes more of a check the box exercise or more of a, you know, I don't, I don't, I won't say it's necessarily like cynical greenwashing because I think it's, it is earnest, but it's not enough. And what ends up happening is those um, modest measures can actually impede the change that really needs to happen. And so I see some of that where people, and it used to be for me that my main competition share was, was the pen or the pencil, right? People be like, well, we'll measure food waste, but we'll do it with a piece of paper. And, you know, how sustainable is that? Like, are you really going to see that go and flourish? And the answer is no, but that act of we'll do that delays progress for two or three years while people sort of, you know, wrestle with the fact that that's not working and, and come to terms with it. So I think bold leadership, willingness to take um, take the big bets and it, uh, on, on, on things that are going to drive impact. And that's, doesn't mean it's a massive amount of capital to fight food waste. I think it's in many ways, it's knowledge capital and it's mind share and it's focus. Um, but what I see is people managing the wrong risks. I see people worrying about the question of, you know, in the very near term, how, you know, how am I going to manage, you know, my cafe today? You know, I have a labor shortage. How am I going to measure food waste? And, and they focus on the labor. And like, we can't do anything on this right now because we have a label problem. And that's been a huge issue in the industry. Um, so first of all, I look at that and I say, well, every bit of food that you waste and over half of it is overproduction, has labor in it. So you're actually wasting labor by having food waste, much more than you're going to waste by working on the problem. So let's just start there. That's not a, a real impediment. Um, shouldn't be. Like we should be able to over, overcome that. But also the real risk to your business is not the the shortcoming things that we might be facing in an instant where we're, we're, you know, we're wanting to make sure that the last customer who comes to the buffet has the exact same experience as the first customer, which by the way, that practice drives a huge amount of food waste, right? Because buffets stay fully staffed. That's not the real risk. The real risk is climate. The real risk is, you know, our world is melting and the real risk is people don't have enough to eat. And like, so getting people to just reorient around what really matters and what's truly a risk 
that that needs to be managed because what I see is an immense amount of caution and that just puts the brakes on real change. So so I think fight fight the fight the real problems, be bold. We need senior leaders to care. And I applaud your actions. Um, unfortunately, we are out of time, but is there anything else you would like to share with us? No, I lost track of time. Um, but uh, no, I really appreciate the conversation. And I think this fits into this overall tapestry that you're weaving in helping people understand food systems change and what we have to elevate. And this one is just, as long as we're wasting food, all the rest of it is going to be weighed down like in, in every way. And so if we can clear this up, it's going to, it's going to be like moving, like changing from running on sand to, to running on solid ground. Indeed. And thank you for mentioning my work. So if people want to learn more about Lean Path or get in touch with you, how should they go about it? If yeah, certainly leanpath.com. We have a blog really active in publishing on it. It's not promotional, it's educational. So I encourage people to sign up for our newsletter, which is also educational. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. If people send me LinkedIn messages, I'm happy to, to connect and be helpful in whatever ways I can be. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sharon. Want to dive deep into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkie series. Tune in and listen to the industry's champions whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet in our daily lives. For more great content, visit our website at www.edibleplanetventures.com and follow us on social media on the Edible Planet Ventures channels.